new to this church, I'm your substitute teacher for today. <laughs> and unlike your high school experience, uh, I've actually prepared a lesson. I'm not just going to show you some old documentary uh, to pass the time. Uh, but it is good. My name is Andy Jones, uh, ordained minister and local business owner in Chattanooga. I worship up at Rock Creek Fellowship, and it's always fun to come down to this side of the mountain to be with you all. But our uh, focus this morning is going to be on Psalm 1. So if you find the Psalms, just go to the very beginning, and that's the Psalm we're going to look at this morning. It's in the Pew Bibles. You can find our text uh, on page 480. 480. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. The Pew Bibles or NIVs are just a few words you'll find different, but otherwise should pretty much be the same. Would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. So a few months ago, my wife and I, Leah, who's here with me today, uh, did something that we had not done as parents before, and that was we spent five consecutive nights away from our children. We went to a a beach far away as we could possibly get (laughs) and enjoyed five consecutive nights away from our children. And I want to tell you that we liked it. (laughs) It was a good experience. Yes, we thought about our children, especially on the way home as we started to try to remember their names. But... But as we sat there day by day just spending our time there on the beach, uh, the, the phrase that kept coming back up was, happy place. <laughs> this is our happy place. <laughs> and I, if you're like me, my wife uh, tends to find the beach to be her happy place, you know, that place where there tends to feel like a little more joy in your life and a little less worry. Uh, and for everybody, that probably looks a little different. For me, it's not the beach. It's a, it's a good trail. Uh, it's a good college football game. It's, it's a, a good historic uh, monument of some sort. Uh, but for, for everyone in this room, I imagine that happy place would be a little different. For some, it's a fishing boat, right, somewhere, a, a, a tree stand somewhere all by yourself waiting for a deer to come along. Uh, it could be the mall, Disney, whatever, uh, grandma's house. You know, you, you can have whatever happy place you want. But it's that place that we love because when we go there, we just tend to feel more joy in our lives and a little less worry. And there's something very human about that feeling, and I would say that from even our text this morning, that God designed us to have those sorts of feelings. That in other words, God made us to want happiness. Like, that's a good desire. Now, the Bible has much to say about where we try to fulfill that desire. That's a whole other issue. But the desire for happiness, to know joy, to know that, 
is something that God gives us as humans, that instinct. And in fact, that's the word, the closest word we use day to day to the word used in Psalm 1 for blessed. That typically, generally speaking, that when we think of what the psalmist meant by blessed, it might be what we think of in terms of happiness. That, that to know happiness is to be like uh, the tree in verse 3. That's the vision of happiness most of us have. Wouldn't we want our life to be like a tree planted by streams of water that's always yielding fruit and never withering and all that we do we prosper, right? Like that's a vision of happiness right there. All joy, no worry, no ill effects. And of course, we want that in our lives where we pursue it is a whole different issue that we'll get to in a second. But we're not very good, even though God gives us this instinct for happiness, perhaps you're now old enough to realize we're not very good at actually finding it, right? (laughs) That we do pursue it all kinds of ways, through all kinds of efforts, but it's very hard to grasp and to hold on to. Uh, In this country, we tend to think of happiness, the general definition of happiness is I get to do whatever it is I want to do, whenever it is I want to do it, and nobody tells me otherwise. That's generally the view of what will bring you happiness in our culture. It's self-realization, right? Self-actualization. You get to have desires, act on those desires, and nobody can tell you that your desires are wrong, and that that will lead you to happiness. That's kind of the general modern American definition of happiness. It's actually old view. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, well, yeah, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't true, then just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's generally the modern American view of what happiness is, to do what we want, when we want, nobody tell us that we can't do it. And of course, if that's the view of happiness, that to know happiness, I have to be able to fully express and realize my self-desires, then it makes sense why things like chastity, children, and religion are on the decline in the country. Because those things get in the way of that. Those are barriers to happiness. And so those things are on the decline and we shouldn't be surprised. But of course, this has been the view in our culture for some time, that happiness is kind of the pursuit of your own self. Um, But the statistics show that it's not working out very well. That in other words, are we happier? Well, I don't know if you know this, but recently something's happened in the last three years in America that hasn't happened in decades, which is that the life expectancy, the age of life expectancy in America has gone backwards. It's decreased. For three straight years, it's going backwards, whereas it had been going out for decades with developments in technology, medicine, science. Now we are expected to live shorter, shorter, shorter. And the, the group that's had the most uptick in that is white middle-class Americans. And the CDC and others who do this research around the age of life expectancy have said the reason for this shift is because of what they call a significant increase in deaths of despair. Deaths of despair. That, in other words, we have had a rapid, especially over the last decade, a rapid increase in the amount of suicide and addiction-related deaths in our country. And so we, we've lived by this maxim that to be truly happy, I have to be able to do whatever I want, however I want, and you can't tell me otherwise. And the data that we're getting back now in that kind of feedback loop 
is showing us that we're not getting what we thought it would deliver us, right? That instead of happiness, we're finding despair. And so what does the Bible say about happiness? What does it mean to live a blessed, happy life like Psalm 1 describes? Well, according to the Bible, the Bible says something that sounds foolish to our modern American ears, but what the Bible tells us is this, that if you want to know happiness, to know happiness is to know and to live in fellowship with God. That is to know happiness. And that is very counter to every instinct in us and everything we hear and are taught to live by. To know happiness is to not actually try to get absorbed into ourselves, but rather to know happiness is to be absorbed into the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that runs against the grain of everything that we see, hear, and breathe today. But this morning, Psalm 1 is going to remind us that that is happiness. That is happiness. And that we're going to need to repent of trying to find happiness elsewhere and to actually believe God when he tells us that happiness is to be found in knowing and living in fellowship with him. And so we're going to look at happiness this morning through the lens of Psalm 1. And we're just going to look at two things here. And that is the who of happiness and the how of happiness, the who and the how of happiness, according to Psalm 1. Notice that we start off with this who of happiness, because it does describe, it starts off by describing a person, right? Blessed is the one, blessed is the man, that it describes a particular kind of person. And I'm just going to go ahead here and put the, the spoil, spoil this whole psalm for you, and that, and tell you that you can never be the person of Psalm 1. Okay, you will never, ever be the person of Psalm 1 that's described here. That what's described here is somebody who never strays into the path of sinners, who never goes a day or a night without meditating on the law of God, that it describes perfection. It describes someone who is 100% sold out, committed to God in his ways. And we can never reach the standard of perfection here in Psalm 1. So that's my message. You'll never, you'll never experience this. <laughs> no, I'm not going to stop there. <laughs> uh, the good news is that Psalm 1 is actually describing a particular person. That particular person is just not you. But rather, Psalm 1 is describing the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about Psalm 1 through the lens of this being a prophecy about a man who was to come. A man who would be blessed because he loved God's laws. He loved God's ways. He would not listen to the the scoffers and the sinners. But rather, he is the tree that's planted by the streams of water. And in fact, how do we know this? That this is talking about Jesus. That this is not meant to be a prescription, go off and go do this, as much as a description of somebody that was to come. We know this because Jesus tells us this. He tells us in two ways. Jesus tells us he is the tree of Psalm 1 verse 3 because in Luke 24 when he was on the road to Emmaus, he said that he had to come as he was talking with the men on the road to Emmaus, he said he had to come so that all that was said in the Psalms would be fulfilled. So he is the blessed man. He has come and fulfilled that role of the blessed man. But even more explicitly, what did he say in John 15? I am the vine... You are the branches. 
Jesus' invitation is that the tree has come. And you can now be engrafted into the tree who is Jesus. You can be united to Him by faith. And that you don't need to try to become this tree. You need to believe in the tree. Uh, You need to believe that Jesus is the vine, that you are the branches. That you can abide in Him and He in you. And as a result of abiding in Jesus, that you can bear much fruit. And so the who of happiness described here in Psalm 1, is not the person you look at in the mirror every day, but rather who the psalmist is trying to point us to would come in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. You know, we all, like I said, we all look for happiness, and we tend to look inward for happiness, to try to sort things out internally in such a way that we will bring happiness to ourselves. I already said most most secular people, Right? We have already talked about their, their kind of pathway to happiness. I want to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, and I'll be happy. But even more religious people look for happiness in ways that God never intended. So if I, if I pray more, if I read the Bible more, if I serve more in the church, God will have to bring me blessing. God will have to make me happy. But notice, even in that religious definition... We are still the center of it, right? If I do this, if I do that, if I do this, then then God. (laughs) Rather than seeing God as the driving force behind the blessing, we still put ourselves at the center in our own little ways, even inside religious circles. But rather, what the Bible tells us here is that if we're going to be happy, it's not looking to ourselves, it's not looking inside ourselves, but rather that happiness can only come by looking outside of ourselves and looking outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ and to the Father and the Spirit. You know, uh, one of my earliest memories of schooling comes from first grade. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and my first grade teacher was Mrs. Bond. And Mrs. Bond tried to teach penmanship to me uh, valiantly, but I was falling behind with every lesson, I fell behind my peers, my fellow students, to the point where I had to start to stay after school, and she would work with me. Until one day, she had a revelation, and she discovered and pointed out to me that I was not (laughs) right-handed, that this was the problem, that here she was trying to instruct me over and over again, investing more and more time in me, only to come to the realization that the problem wasn't my aptitude, thank you very much. (laughs) The problem was she was trying to get my right hand to do something that it was never designed to do, right? She was trying to get my right hand to do cursive and all these other things that it just was never designed to do. I may have had desire, she was offering me instruction, but I did not have ability or power to do the very thing that was being asked of me. And that is true of what Psalm 1 says about us. Yes, it gives, it gives us clear instructions on what a pathway to eternal happiness would look like. And what the Bible tells us elsewhere is that we don't have the ability or the power to stay on this particular pathway. That because of our fallen nature, that we will always veer from it, stray from it in different ways. And so... This is why we have to look to Christ and not ourselves. That we don't have the power to stay on this particular pathway. 
but rather by faith we are forever united to Christ and He is like that tree that's not going to go anywhere. That He is strongly rooted for all of eternity at the right hand of the Father. And to know happiness is to live in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And once again, John 10, this is what he told his own disciples, right? I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And so the quest of the Christian life, the goal of the Christian life is to not try to create abundance, right? But rather it is to live in the abundance of Jesus Christ, to be united to the tree and to draw upon all, the, all his root resource system and to enjoy so for all of eternity. And so Jesus is the who of happiness described here. And so as we read Psalm 1, uh, as we read Psalm 1, uh, don't, don't look inwardly, but rather be so thankful that Jesus has come and been this person for you. But that brings us to the how of happiness, the how of happiness. So even though Jesus is that blessed man, the psalm here does describe habits through which we can come into closer fellowship with God. That even though Jesus is the tree, that this describes how we can draw upon the resources of the tree through some particular habits laid out here. You know, we're in the first month of the year. I'm sure you had some thought about New Year's resolutions. I don't know if they're still with you today as we're day 20 on the mission of 2019. But as, as my experience has taught me, creating goals is very easy. That's the easiest part of the New Year's resolution process, creating the goal. The harder part is creating the habits that will help you to reach that goal, right? Because goals are great, habits are harder. And here, we're told about the habits uh, that we need to create and be mindful of if we're going to reach the goal of becoming in closer fellowship with Jesus Christ. Two things in particular stand out in Psalm 1, uh, and that is community is one of the habits that we have to create, and then meditation is also brought up here. Community and meditation are the two habits of happiness uh, that are brought out here if we're going to grow closer to Christ. Notice this first one about community. Notice verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You may have picked up there on that progression, right? You don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. There's that progression of intimacy, of passing through, then stopping for a little bit, then making your home in this way of people. But the larger point of what the psalm is trying to tell us is that you will become like the people that you root yourself with. You will become like the people that you create a community with. Those people, no matter how much willpower you may think you have, the people that you surround yourself with are going to shape who you become. And so the psalm is saying you need to be mindful. This is why God always warned Israel about intermingling, right, with the nations. You're going to become like them if you start to intermingle with them. And so he called them to be separate. You know, this was brought home to uh, my wife and I. So we lived uh, five to six years in California. We're both from the deep south, lived in Los Angeles. You can imagine how we were part of a reality show of some sort, but we, uh, it felt like at times. Uh, but, but living in Southern California as people from the Deep South changed certain things about us, from our diet to our language, even our accent a little, uh, to habits that we had. I, I had not seen an avocado in my whole life before I moved uh, to Los Angeles, and then it was served uh, very regularly with dishes as like a garnish. 
I'd never witnessed a sun-dried tomato in my life. Mom didn't put those in the chicken casseroles when I was growing up. Uh, So that was foreign to me. Things were introduced to my diet. I quickly stopped the habit of saying I was fixing to go do something uh, because that only was met with smiles and laughter uh, by the Southern Californians. Uh, I didn't own sandals. Uh, and in California, you've got to have different pair at different doors in the house just for different things you want to go to because sandals are a year-round thing. And so being among those people for that period of time shaped habits, the way things, activities that we did, uh, words we spoke, and so forth. And it's true for you, whether or not you realize it, right? The reason you like some dishes to eat, because the community you grew up in, that was a popular dish to eat. It influenced and shaped your diet, influenced and shaped uh, your, the way you spoke. Uh, it shaped many things about you that you don't even appreciate or not conscious of. And that's true biblically speaking. This is why God doesn't just save individuals, but both in Old and New Testament, He brings you into a community, the people of Israel and the church of Jesus Christ. It's because in the context of community, we are being shaped into who Christ has called us to be. And it can only happen in this sort of setting. This is why we need the church. And of course, if community is, is a formative part of the Christian life, that just begs the question for each of us, how connected are we to the Christian community? Are we living in fellowship with the people of God? And are the people who we have in our lives... Are they going to influence us to come into closer fellowship with God? It's a, it's a very necessary question that we would do well to ask ourselves. But this church, the church of Jesus Christ, exists to be that community for us. The place where we are getting a new diet of bread and wine. <laughs> that we are learning a new language of praise and adoration. Where we're picking up new habits that we didn't have before. So we need community because it is shaping us whether or not we realize it. But then it also tells us here another how of happiness or another habit of happiness comes through meditation. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. That this practice of meditation may not be familiar to many of us. Uh, but really, think about it as a kind of combination of reading of the Scripture and praying the Scriptures uh, is essentially what meditation is. In fact, the word for meditation in the Psalms is the same word used elsewhere in the Bible for chewing. That it's one thing just to think about the food getting to your stomach, which is mostly my goal when I eat. Take as few chews as possible, get it in my stomach. But rather, what meditation is, no, no, stop for a second. And chew that food and think about what you're tasting. Smell it a little bit. You know, what, what is that flavor that's coming out? That's meditation. That's chewing upon the Bible. It's chewing it to try to get the richness, the flavors, the layers that are happening. That's what Psalm 1 is talking about when it talks about meditation. And another way to think about it is that God, through meditation is making our story become, his story become our story. That in other words, he's changing our thought patterns about ourselves and about the world we live in and about how we're to live in this world as we meditate upon the Bible. Because we're all telling ourselves a story of some, some way or another about the world and our purpose in it. 
And through meditation, God is changing that story to become His story, the story He has for this world, the story He has for us as His people in this world. It's through meditation that He is changing us. And as we meditate, we need to meditate so that when we go through suffering, we can be reminded of that, that dish that the Bible served up to us that reminds us that, that, you know what, God will not abandon me. Even in suffering, He'll work all things together for good. That when we meditate upon the Bible and we experience material blessing, we'll be reminded of the, the, the truth that everything we have is a gift from God to be received with thankfulness and joy. And so we have to meditate upon the Bible to taste the richness, the flavors, the layers, if we're going to become like, if, if we're going to become like Christ and grow in fellowship with Him. But notice also that in this psalm, it does tell us, it gives us a contrast, obviously, from verse 1 through the very end. The psalm is itself a contrast between two types of people, the righteous and the wicked. It starts off by telling us that the righteous don't do fellowship with the wicked. But then, did you notice in verses 4 through 6, the wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So it says the righteous are like a tree, verse 3, and then verse 4, that the wicked are like chaff. Now think about that contrast. The tree of verse 3 and the chaff of verse 4. It says the righteous are thick, like that tree that's planted by streams of water that no wind can can sway. But then it says that the wicked are thin, live thin lives, that, that they're just going to be driven away by the next wind that comes through town. They're like the chaff, that there's this thickness this versus this thinness of living that's going on between the righteous and the wicked. And in fact, it's not just in this life, but it goes on into eternity. That's the last verse. Therefore, the wicked will not be able to stand when it comes to God's judgment. But the Lord will know the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You know, that is an appropriate image for as we leave this place today, the world we go out into. The world is going to invite us into thin living. To live thin lives. Lives where there is no rootedness. Where we almost celebrate rootlessness. And where there's few commitments to anything in particular. But what the Bible reminds us this this morning is that God Himself, God Himself invites us into thick living, into something thick and lasting, something rooted and eternal. And what He invites us into is fellowship with Him, fellowship with Him, fellowship that grows as we experience Him in community, as we experience Him through His Word. And in fact, God has enjoyed the most rooted, in real relationship that has ever existed eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He invites us into that relationship. Psalm 1 reminds us that happiness doesn't come by turning inward to see what you want, to see life as you would like to experience it. But rather, happiness comes by actually turning away from yourself, to gazing upon the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, looking to their love, looking to their life and joining them by faith. That we need to repent this morning of trying to find happiness in other places. Because we all do. We're all tempted and tried in various ways to think that there is somehow some sort of happiness that we can find outside of fellowship with God. 
But we also, this, this passage is not just a call to repentance. It's a call to faith. And may, maybe this morning, you're a skeptic, like me at times, that you doubt whether or not this can actually be true. That, that to be, to know blessedness is to know God Himself. Is that true? Because we have many reasons given to us in our own culture to question whether or not that is the case. And this morning we're called to faith, even the faith of a mustard seed, to believe that blessedness is only to be found in God Himself. To believe that in Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 1, that Jesus Christ, in Him, by faith in Him, God has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places. That right now we get to enjoy the blessings of someone, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is, and by faith we are united to Him. In some ways, think of this psalm as this. God invites us into His happy place. That His happy place is with the Son and the Spirit. Has been for all of eternity, will be for all of eternity. And He sends His Son, and by faith in Him invites us to come and be with Him in His happy place, both now and and forevermore. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for your kindness and your good news that you have made a way for us into your happy place. And Father, some of us here this morning, including myself, need to be convicted of ways that we try to seek happiness apart from you, ways that we buy into the world's story of happiness. And Father, likewise, we need to be convinced and not just convicted, convinced that there is true eternal happiness to be found in knowing you and living in fellowship with you. And so give us that faith this morning to believe it and to pursue it in our own lives. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us to be our unhappy selves, but rather that you are redeeming us. And Father, we pray, help us to tune out the story the world would have us to believe and help us to tune in to your story and what you are doing in this world and in us. And we ask it in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.